Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. This week's Law and Order Marathon winner is Catherine Branigan Conway of Kilcatherine, County Cork, Ireland. Catherine will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Chris Clemmer. And these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are The Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And this week, we're looking at The Mothership Law & Order, Season 10, Episode 15, Fools for Love. Cops talk to her? They think she knows more than she's telling. I'm having a hard time imagining that she was actively involved in the rape of her sister. Well, given the evidence, it's hard to imagine she wasn't at least in the room. Joining me to do that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. My clients will never pay for fake molding, Kevin. Only real, the real stuff will do. I'm completely ignoring that non sequitur. <laughs> Rounding out our panel from the Quantum Week podcast, it's Chris Clemmer. Hi, Chris. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Rebecca. How are you guys doing? We're great. Your podcast, you uh, you jump back in time to a random week and look at a hit movie, uh, music, and other headlines from that week. Have you ever come to a fantastic quantum week of Law & Order? Or was it just a whole lot better shit going on those weeks? <laughs> no, we haven't hit the Law & Order yet, but I'm more of a Law & Order fan like the earlier seasons. So like anything after like, you know, like even like around season eight and beyond... I'm not as fond of them, more like the one through four, one through six are my, that's my uh, sweet spot for Law & Order. You're like Perfect. A, you're like a, a, a Moriarty uh, file, is that what you're saying? I am, I, I'm, I'm like the rare person that is, yes. Season four is oh, my favorite wow. season. How did you pick him for this episode from season 10 then, Kevin? Well, you know, I just, I'm, I want him to stretch. <laughs> this should be a stretch. I appreciate the challenge. But Chris is going back in my Rolodex as one of those uh, outliers. Yes. I will say, though, Kevin, you picked an episode that is exactly in my original recipe sweet spot. I have very small original recipe sweet spots, and that small sweet spot is defined by Briscoe Green. And Carmichael. So congratulations. And throwing a little Benson and Stabler. And that's it's, basically perfect. It's like a calzone of characters. <laughs> Chris, so of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite Law & Order detective team? Favorite Law & Order detective team. I usually, I, use their, I use their actors' names. I apologize. Chris Knopf and uh, Jerry Orbach. That, that, uh, I forget Knopf's character's name, but the Briscoe, that combination is my favorite. Briscoe and Logan. 
Yes, yes, Logan. Yes, the whole Max Greavy. Even though you're you like season one, he's just he's not top of your list. No, not season season one's a drag. So maybe two to four, <laughs> yeah. two to five is season one's rough, rough, rough going. <laughs> What's well, great because we all know that uh, now, but we all know by now that George Dunza was a big fucking dick. That's so. right. He's an asshole. Apparently, yeah. who knew? Who knew? We do now. We do now. <laughs> Chris, uh, who is your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite Law and Order District Attorney Prosecutorial Team. Uh, Moriarty and and Joe Hennessy was uh, was a college crush. Uh, like <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched a lot of Law and Order late nineties, early two thousands when I was in college, and um, yeah, anytime it. You know, it was one of those episodes. Of like, oh, great! She just, you know, had it all. Like, good-looking woman, very bright, and uh, well, yeah, I was I was always a fan of those episodes for sure. Plus, I just and I like the combo of the cops too, so that worked out really well for me. Season four is, like I said, my sweet spot. Yeah, it totally is. I have to say, Chris, I bet he watched Crossing Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody did. Someone had to have. I never I'm, saw it, but I, I I've never seen it either. But I, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure. It was, I always like seeing the commercials when it would come on for sure. Chris, do you know that Jill Hennessy has a twin? Really? Yes. Jill Hennessy's twin actually like helped sub for Jill Hennessy a couple times, right, Kevin? Yeah, when they needed a body double, <laughs> they got the best body double they possibly could get. That must be an annoying existence. You know, you're always being recognized, but you don't have any of the money. It's like the worst. You have like, it's like the, the worst part of fame. No, I'm not her. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm like the less enhanced, less fit version of my beautiful, famous, rich twin sister. Oh, that sounds awful. That's, that's, that's a special kind of hell. That's awful. <laughs> All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode, Law & Order, Season 10, Episode 15, Fools for Love. Well, you can wrap a body in plastic, but you can't keep them fresh if you don't seal the top. <laughs> uh, two teen girls are discovered in an abandoned building. They had likely been kidnapped, restrained, and raped. One choked on her own vomit, and the other one was smothered a week later. So they were together. The way we figure, this wacko had them tied up someplace, feeding them drugs, doing whatever he wants with them. One of them dies accidentally, so he kills the other one, too. After holding her a few more days. What it looks like. On a hunch, Briscoe and Green hit a pottery store where the girls made a custom photo coffee cup that definitely no one will ever pick up. <laughs> they trace that to a hostel where Jane Kendrick and her exchange student friend Annika were staying. The grieving parents say her older sister Laura was with her, but now she's MIA. Fearing Laura's being held, Briscoe and Green team up with NBC contractually obligated to appear detectives Benson and Stabler <laughs> to track down some rape suspects. One of them is Peter Williams, who refuses to talk. Unable to get a warrant to search his place, Briscoe phones in a phony gas leak to get the super to open up Peter's door. His restraints and reading material are troubling. An eyewitness to a street kidnapping fingers Peter and identifies the victim as a completely different woman, Melanie Daniels. That's when Laura turns up in the ER, drugged, beaten, and blaming Peter. And that's when the detectives arrest Peter for Jane and Annika's murders. Okay. Yes. Wow, we see a dozen cops moving around, checking the body, looking for fingerprints, taking photos. They've been there for hours. And then someone says, hey, there's another body right over here. <laughs> uh, the enemy says the body was dumped. Yeah, I got drag marks in the dust. Two sets. Two? We got another body. Same age. Same ligatures. Same psycho. 
Because <laughs> no one wanders around. Yeah. It's so bizarre. So first, to, just to, to start this, so that woman who makes the molding comment. <laughs> well, my clients aren't going to pay for fake molding. Like, I recognized her. So when the yeah. show was over, I'm like, I went in some deep dive at IMDb, and I'm like, I know that woman's face. And my father worked on Broadway. He was a stagehand for Radio City Music Hall and, uh, in the 70s and 80s, and he worked uh, on some Broadway shows, including a show called Me and My Girl. And it was the late 80s, and I used to go to work with him all the time. And it ends up she was in the cast. Like, uh-huh. I knew that woman, like, when I was a little boy. And I hadn't seen her in, like, 30 years. I was, like, I was, like, I was, like wow. melting down last night at, like, 2 a.m. after I watched it. I'm like, I'm like, holy shit, I know that person. I was freaking out. My dog thought I was crazy. <laughs> she yelled at me once. No, she was, no, no, very nice. Uh, everyone who was there was very nice. So I have nothing but kind things to say yes. about the casting of me and my girl. So I'm sure this woman was very pleasant. Go ahead now and make fun of my comment about my clients will only pay for authentic molding, Kevin. <laughs> this woman ended up being very important to Chris and this entire podcast, right? Iconic line. It was a great job, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have set that up better. Yes. However, yes, Kevin, it is a little weird that there are 700 cops. By the way, there are a lot of cops in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. For very brief moments of time. We're like going to call on the whole squad and then do nothing with them. It happens over and over again. Take a flyer. And that opening scene is one of them when it takes them quite a while to find a whole second body. Well, you know, they find Jane's body wrapped in see-through plastic with the head sticking out, is this really considered getting rid of a body? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Like, he picked, he, the, the construction guy picks up the, you know, it's like 130 pounds or 110 pounds, you know, and, he, and he's like, oh, no, there's a body in here? Like, what did he think it was? It's very strange. <laughs> he slid her across the floor like they were curling. <laughs> very strong man. Hey, if there's one thing that's more tragic than coming to New York and being murdered... It's getting a photo coffee mug of you in front of Lincoln Center. <laughs> they would decide to give me a gift, buy it in a store. Some of the stuff is pretty good. Yeah, for a six-year-old. Oh, yeah. Lincoln Center. They look like tourists, don't they? Look too young to be by themselves. <laughs> we just need to talk about the I fact. mean, Lincoln Center, really? Listen. Of all the fucking places? Listen, you go to a paint-your-own-pottery place. There's nothing you want more. Than a photograph mug. Isn't it a paint your own pottery place? What are they yeah, doing do with photographs the, on mugs? Did, did anybody pick up what the name of the store was? What was it? It was, uh, I think it was like, it's Mud in Your Eye or Our Name's Mud or something like that. <laughs> Lenny couldn't have been ruder, though. Like, this is a shop, like, he's insulting this, like, the shop and, like, what the shop does. Like, there's, a, you know, there's all customers in there. You don't need to trash what they're doing while you're looking at the stuff. Exactly. No, but if you've ever been in, he's, he's absolutely correct. <laughs> All the stuff doesn't look like it was made That's by right. a six-year-old. Oh. Nobody buys two of those because there's nothing's ever going to match. <laughs> I had flashbacks from that scene. Of all the times, Kevin, yeah. you and I are married. We have kids, not together, but separately. You have stepkids, I right. have stepkids, we have And kids. we had them bond. At- How many horrible, horrible afternoons did we spend at the Paint Your Own Pottery Place when they were little and were like, Jesus Christ, let's just get through this goddamn rainy afternoon. Yeah, but we still have the salt shakers we do, we do. and the butter container. We do, we do. We use the shit, we do. Yeah. Do you think that her parents kept that mug? I, I Probably not. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, at least one good thing came out of the trip, Martha. <laughs> I have my new favorite coffee mug. <laughs> Let's go ahead and identify this week's microaggression. Uh, <laughs> Is that a new segment? Yeah. Will there be a jingle for that? <laughs> microaggression. I was thinking about microaggression. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Van Buren wants to know... No Polaroid camera? No. Who took the picture? And Briscoe says... The girl's probably waylaid some Japanese tourist. Then Green says... Japanese tourist with a Polaroid? That's right. So Rebecca, can you uh, can you name that microaggression? Would you like me to microaggression-splain that yeah, microaggression? Yeah, please tell me what that was all about. Okay, Kevin. So... Tell me the stereotype. <laughs> the stereotype is that Japanese tourists in New York have very fancy cameras and not Polaroids, and they like to take pictures of anything. Well, let's... <laughs> By the well, way... Well, let's ask somebody who did uh, Take Your Kid to Broadway Day when he was growing up. <laughs> Chris, uh, when you'd bump into Japanese tourists, did any of them have Polaroids, or was it all seven Nikon cameras like we're supposed well, to believe? I always tried to be a good citizen, and I didn't, you know, I didn't make note of ethnicities of tourists walking around with cameras, but I believe that any camera I saw would be very nice, I'm sure. I, I don't, I don't remember, I don't, I don't remember like Polaroid being like he, he said it so dismissively. I, Polaroids are fine; they seem kind of nice. I don't know why people are dragging on Polaroids. A lot of hostility with the cops in this episode. Very angry. <laughs> uh, we also get our crossover. We do crossover, crossover. Yeah, season one for them anyway. Benson and Stabler. Looking for a February sweeps boost. You caught your guy yet? Not so you'd notice. Do you find anything? Well, the closest thing we came up with is in Nassau County. A string of five unsolved rapes starting last year stopped three months ago. What makes it our guy? Well, he uh, held his victims for days. He drugged them, he raped them, then he cleaned them up before we let them go. He didn't kill them? No, but look at what you've got. Your first girl choked to death, most likely by accident. Bad break for the guy. He kills the other one to keep it quiet. Worst break for the girls. Uh, the previous episode of Law and Order was called Entitled, and that was actually a two-part crossover. With first part was on SVU, and then this Briscoe and Green go there, and then they come over. Craigens over here. Basically, and it's, trying yeah. to sell the audience on watching the new rape show. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. I'm wondering, Chris, like if you saw this and you weren't familiar with SVU, and you see these detectives come on, and you go, "Oh." I want to see more of those guys. What the hell were they even doing in this episode? They have like three lines each. There com- it's com- no reason at all for them to be here. It's this, there's so much bizarre clutter in this episode of, of like some big names. Because like, you know, obviously SVU becomes a huge show. So like there's all these like kind of you know, big celebrities in this episode for almost no reason. It's very strange. Well, obviously you don't know what synergy is. <laughs> and, and Warren Littlefield was like, okay, we're getting Mariska and Maloney. Yes. Over on the set. By the way, in this season one, both shows used the same courtroom okay. set. Yes. Because SVU didn't have one. So right. they had to wait until Saturdays when Law and Order was done shooting. Nice. So they could go in and use their courtroom. You know what the spinoff I want is? What? That guy in the one store on the Upper West Side who sold that specific kind of shirt. <laughs> Bought by a blonde girl around 17. May have been in with a friend. Well, that describes a hefty chunk of our clientele. Oh, man, they're dead. Look again. That guy was awesome when he was just like, they go in and they're like, oh, remember who bought this shirt? And they show him the pictures and he's like, oh, my God, they're they're dead. dead. (laughs) (laughs) 
He was rude and squeamish. It was amazing. I legit, here's my question about that. I'm sorry, Kevin. I don't yeah. know what you were going. They were able to identify this shirt as being from this one <laughs> store on the Upper West Side. No idea how that happened. I think a tag or well, something. Well, so then right? you go to the store and you see this shot and the guy is very specific. He seems very hikery. Maybe it's like an EMS, like little like boutique hiking store. But then the pan out shot, it legit looks like a penny store where you would just go buy like leftover clothes from some other store. I have no idea what's happening. I want a spinoff from that guy from that store. Yeah, I think that guy was hoping that those girls would be buried in biodegradable <laughs> coffins because that would be the granola thing to do. He was do. pretty crunchy. I loved him, though. I did. He was the best character in the whole episode. Actually, he was the second best character in the whole episode. No, I was just going to say the clothes in that store were horrible. Like, even the signage was, like, as low like low rent as you could get. It was horrible. And, and the clerk couldn't have been more, like, stuck up. Like, you think he worked at, like, the nicest, you know, a Barney's or something. It's like these, like, nasty T-shirts on the rack. <laughs> What's going on here? So you know how they were able to trade like that one shirt to that one store on the Upper West Side. Right. Was another clue not like a man buying douche at a drugstore? <laughs> I guess there's no point in asking. Indication of brutal sexual penetration, both vaginally and anally. Bad news, no semen. Condom? Douche. Could they just go to like the Dwayne Reeds in everybody and be like, hey, any dudes been in here buying douche lately? I got to tell you, it's the first and last time I remember douche being brought up in an actual Law & Order episode. I don't remember that at all. You don't? What was that? That was during the Emmy. Elizabeth Rogers is talking about why there was no semen. Oh. And they were like, what, condom? And she was like, no, douche. And it was a detail that just totally went by you and apparently all of America, but not me. I want... <laughs> <laughs> no, I heard it too. Because they, they bring up the fingernails. Like, what do they forget to douche those or something? <laughs> All right, let's take a look at our cast. We get to see somebody before they were famous. Before they were famous. Rebecca, who yes. is playing Laura? Uh, Dr. Meredith Gray herself, Ellen Pompeo, highest yeah. paid woman in television history, maybe. Uh, yeah. Except for Oprah. He was so wonderful in the beginning. He listened to me when I talk and he bought me things. But then he changed. And he would hit me and he would tell me that I was nothing without him. This is actually Ellen Pompeo's second appearance on Law & Order, both before she was famous. Mm -hmm. uh, she was in season six's Savior, uh, where she uh, let a man kill her whole family because her mom didn't like her boyfriend. <laughs> so between, true story, so between this episode and that episode, she was the obvious choice to play cold-blooded psycho Meredith Grey on Grey's Anatomy. Yes. Look, in October, uh, Ellen welcomed her third child. Yeah. Three-year-old Eli. She's making $20 million a year. She does not have time to be pregnant herself. So fun fact about Ellen Pompeo. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, Kevin, but she is known in Hollywood as being one of the shrewdest female uh, lead negotiators like in TV history. Like she, when she found out that Patrick Dempsey was making more money than her right. in a show named after the character she was playing. But she doesn't have that thing. Well, she has it now. She got it in the no, form No, the of thing a, is a penis. But she has it in the form of a big giant check. Oh, okay. But she has like agreed to continue doing the show, but for like a tremendous amount of money. And she's basically stood up for like, she's paved the way for all of these other women who have parts in shows that are important. Tracy Ellis Ross, like all these other women who like, the shows wouldn't happen without them. 
to do the same thing. Like the production will shut down if you don't show up. And, and for that, I really commend her. Well, first off, just the actress. Like, Ellen, like she's really, like you were saying, she's really shrewd. She's really sharp. Like a lot of, yes. you see a lot of, um, you know, TV actors get a big ego and they leave the show after five or six years, you know? And she's like, she's stuck it out. And cause she knew, that, you know, as long as the show keeps going and I'm the only constant, I'm going to get a huge payday. Like Anthony Edwards did the same thing with the R, but even he left. Like, and you said, it's named <laughs> after her. So she, you know, she's yeah. going nowhere. And she just, you know, now she's, like you said, she's like one of the richest women in TV history. Like, you know, her, Lucille Ball, Oprah, like that's a small group. And she's right there. Yeah. And, um, and she's very good in this episode. Let's be real. She's good. You could see why she would be cast as a lead in a future drama from her performance as a ingenue slash victim slash psychopath in this episode. She shows the full range. She has range. Exactly. <laughs> Craziest character ever. Like, I don't know how you even play that. Like, I was like watching, like, I kind of felt she did the best she could. I just don't know how you make it because you're basically turning on a dime every like three minutes. It's very strange. <laughs> strange editing. Let's be real. We have some repeat offenders. Mm. Repeat offender. Uh, in the role of the pottery shop employee <laughs> is stage actress Jennifer Mudge. I'm sorry, I'd like to help, but I don't recognize them. Of course, people don't always look the same when... Yeah. Uh, we saw her as one of the two dueling TV anchors in season 20's Anchors Away. Oh, I love that episode. A- Amber Hunt was on that podcast with us, and she's got a new podcast coming out. She does. Yeah, also we have Craig Walker as the landlord. Okay, they uh, checked in six weeks ago, paid two months in advance. We saw him in SVU season 13, official story. He was the alcoholic army guard who's going to testify against the defense contractor, but mysteriously drank himself to death inside a locked hotel room. (laughs) And uh, Patrick Hines was on that podcast, and he's got a new podcast coming out with Amber Hunt, so I guess that's all the free plugs we have to get. That's right. And for all those folks. That's right. But let's get to our Hey, It's That Guy. Hey, it's that guy. Can anyone tell me the name of the actor playing Laura's attorney? Oh, that guy? That guy. That guy looks like a funeral director? <laughs> I don't know who that guy Chris, is. Chris, you know who he is? I don't. I, 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 I saw his name yesterday, but I already forgot it. Laura Kendrick was traumatized by a man she loved and trusted. Now, I'm not going to subject her to a grilling unless you give her immunity. That's Tom Adorsian. Seven Law & Order appearances. Uh, he's best known for his character Agamemnon Bushmailis <laughs> in the HBO prison drama Oz. Oh, with Chris Maloney. Yeah, before being incarcerated, his character had a fascination with digging tunnels, which comes in super handy. Yeah, that seems uh, right. In jail. So, what are the other two cast members from Oz that are in this episode? Chris, do you know them? Oh, obviously, like I said M- Maloney, and then uh, I don't know who is he? who is the third. J.K. Simmons. Really? Oh, that's who was right. the big bad? Uh, yeah. So Maloney's character had Simmons' character killed by proxy when he secretly switched out the actor's prop knife with a real one during a, a prison staging of Macbeth. Uh-huh. So it's a very complicated way of just saying, if you had a real knife, mm. why didn't you just fucking stab the guy? <laughs> That's true. Why do you got to make your prison lover accidentally stab him in a, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that seems more efficient. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, guys, who needs the Constitution when you have Con Ed? <laughs> I got a quarter. Use myself. No, not for this call. So to set the scene, uh, Briscoe and Green can't get a warrant to get into Peter's apartment when he's not there. Yep. Briscoe has this uh, right out of uh, Morgan Freeman and Seven. We're going to pretend to drop a dime. Mm. 
and they call in a gas leak so that they could you know get access to the uh, the apartment hi uh we saw your trucks something going on got a phone report of a gas leak hey you need any help not registering anything on the meter about to check the basement uh you want us to nose around upstairs can't hurt rebecca you thought that was pretty clever I thought it was an amazing violation of Peter's constitutional rights. <laughs> Honestly, like, it was so funny because it was like, uh, there was a whole setup where Green was going to, like, make the phone call on my cell phone. He's like, I can't make this call on your cell phone. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit, Briscoe is violating Peter's constitutional rights left and right. And then AVB and Anita Van Buren is just like, we'll have to talk about that later. Like, they don't care. They just don't care about violating people's constitutional rights. They just don't care. Chris, you're not that woke. You you thought this was just fine, right? You thought it was fun. I was aghast. I really was. I was like, what are you doing? You can't. No, no. Peter is you know, the biggest scumbag who ever lived. You know, he's up there. He's, you know, or, you know, in, in the in the argument. So I have no problem with. But you can't do that. You, you can't. I mean, what if that happened to us? You know, you know, we come home and the cops are in our, you know, cops and con ed are, you know, smelling for gas, looking through our bookcase. You can't do that. I don't even have gas. I know. I have a question. Yeah. Whatever happened to the second rape suspect? <laughs> Remember they oh, called yeah. the whole squad and it was like, we're going to go after Peter and the other guy? Benson Stabler put Peter Williams on around the clock surveillance. Craigan's pulling in extra manpower. Briscoe Green, pick up Laura Kendrick's trail starting at the hostel. If you get anything that points to the whereabouts of Laura Kendrick, get a search warrant fast. Abby Carmichael standing by. Her pager number's on your handouts. That munch was all on. What me, happened? Yeah. The other guy. <laughs> we obviously didn't need the other guy. Yeah, that's true. But they don't even talk about this. This was guy a complicated yet. enough plot. That's true. For this episode. Blue Honda, Peter. The f- I have to tell you, like horrible confession. All right. When Peter opened the door when they first went to talk to him, and he came out in the hallway, I thought it can't be him. He's too good looking. <laughs> Is oh, that wrong? No. Is it wrong that I felt that way? Yes. And then immediately when they did that illegal search of his house, and I was like, oh, but he has those creepy books, though. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me wonder, though, were, there, were they her books? <laughs> oh, yeah. In the end. Spoiler alert. They went to the library. <laughs> By the way, did anyone understand why, if they were really in on it together, why Laura was drugged and beaten up by Peter before? She, they never explained that. They never explained that. They never explain where it happened to the second rapist suspect. They never explain why Briscoe and Green go to talk to Carmichael and they're chasing her out of a bodega. Maybe he was with the missing girl who was maybe with the two dead girls. I can't take that to a judge. We can make it sound more definite. You have to make it be more definite, Ed. Don't you have anything more? How do they know she was there? How do they know she was there when they went to go ask her for a warrant? There are a lot of things in this episode that are not explained. Oh, Chris knows that the Euros on that corner are the best in the city. <laughs> His so dad she would took walk, him there. Yeah. She would <laughs> go upper, uptown. Upper West Side. Yeah, yeah that's where you go. Or 49th it was, it was 49th Street, too. It's like right in the middle of... It was very strange. I, I agree. There's many question marks. Remember how they go and talk to Laura in the hospital? And the nurse is like, she's doped up. She might be weird. Yeah. Where was he holding you, do you know? At a little um, apartment. On West 49th Street? Yes. Had she just been, like, to the dentist before they talked to her? Because her, like, brand of doped up, it seemed very, like, wisdom teeth surgery. Did it not? Do you get to pick your poison when they <laughs> bring you in the ER? Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? 
Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. All right, let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Melanie Daniels is still missing. Laura says that her new boyfriend, Peter, was manipulative, and she's fuzzy on the details about her sister's murder. Carmichael tells McCoy they have a problem with their key witness. Lab says the flesh found under her fingernails was from a woman. Are they sure? Yes. The hospital said Laura Kendrick had scratches on her inner thigh. So deep, they were still visible two to three weeks later, and her blood type matches the fingernail scrapings. O negative. A lot of people are all negative. Does the DNA match? The results aren't in, but who else could it be? Laura's asking for immunity, and although she has some kind of involvement in Jane's fate, McCoy makes the deal to prosecute Peter Williams. Laura walks them through what happened. She offered her younger sister and her friend to Peter because he likes virgins. The GHB she gave Jane made her choke on her vomit, and she died. She claims that Peter smothered Annika after a week of raping her. He disposed of the bodies. But cold-blooded Laura is more concerned about her missing jewelry than her dead sister. Polaroids found later show Laura was an enthusiastic participant in the restraint and rape of Jane, Annika, Melanie Daniels, and two other girls. That's when Melanie surfaces to say that well, she had a consensual threesome. Peter was asking about getting more girls for even rougher sex, and Laura was an equal partner. At trial, Laura testifies that Peter was the killer. On the stand, Peter says no. Laura was behind all this, but the jury convicts him anyway. Now, they're stuck with their immunity deal with Laura. At her allocution, McCoy tricks her into providing way too much detail about the crimes. The judge is disgusted and rejects the immunity deal, allowing the state to charge her in full. To avoid the death penalty, she confesses and leads them to the bodies of the two missing girls. Okay, Rebecca, this is great because we get to see Skoda. That's new. <laughs> That's new. You like that one? Nicely huh? done, Kevin. That's brand new. Good Very job. Uh, for him, everything is classic case of yes. dot, dot, dot. Classic case. Predator zeroes in on a vulnerable woman, twists her around till she doesn't know which ends up. She knew him for six weeks. How vulnerable was she? Nothing to do with that. Given the right combination of his skill and her self-esteem problems, you can do it in six days. Until it isn't. Yes. He's like, well, she could be faking it. Yes. I, can I just say one thing about Skoda? Yeah. There was a very conspicuous like moment in this episode where he's talking to Laura and he his hand comes into the frame and he's like wearing a wedding ring. Yeah. And I was so jealous of his wife. Of who? <laughs> his wife. I was very jealous. I find him extremely attractive. He's firmly in my type sphere. Yeah, once you watch him as the Aryan leader in Oz. <laughs> I've never and seen that. Cold shower. Never seen it. Just don't listen. I watched him throw a symbol at a boy's head, and I still. Were <laughs> <laughs> you right, dragging or rushing? Uh, <laughs> but even uh, even Schiff is pissed off, Chris. She's a monster. Not necessarily. Could have been a one shot thing. You ever give a straight answer? Might as well consult a phrenologist. 
J.K. Simmons is one of my favorite actors, and you guys are much more familiar with um, Law and Order, obviously, than I am, than really probably anybody in the world is. Um, but is he always this terrible of a psychiatrist? <laughs> no, this is I mean, horrible. I mean, is, is he known for ineptitude? No, and Laura's just that good. That's the thing. That's the whole point here, is that she was able... This is my question about Laura generally. Yeah. How can she fool Skoda for a whole session... And then she can't hold it together for five fucking minutes when they're walking through that apartment with a video camera. <laughs> How can she be so empathetic and, and believable for that session? And then literally she's on the stand for two seconds. She's like, yeah, I was turned on by my sister's rape. How can that be? How can that be? Skoda literally says, anyone could be a monster once. bd wong yes on svu would have walked in and said ah his shoes are untied pyromaniac yes but now everything that's good is like well i don't know maybe i'm wrong i haven't how is he employed i have a note about that scene yeah pompeo's eyebrows are amazing Maybe that was what he was entranced by, her incredible eyebrows. I mean, I took the time to write it down. Maybe that's what he, all he could say. Hey, that's great. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> Thanks. Well, there's another difference between Law & Order and SVU. What's that? The way they handle things. So they're like, ah, skin under the victim's fingernails? All we know is that it's a woman. That's right. On SVU, Ice-T would walk in. He's like, yeah, uh, one minute ago, we found out it was a DA was a, DNA was a match. That's right, even though it was only four minutes ago that we submitted the DNA. Exactly. <laughs> we know it's a sister. We knew what she was wearing, what she had for dinner the night before, all from that DNA. That's right. They were even able to trace traveler's checks in this episode. Chris, That's wasn't the law and order way. Chris, wasn't it kind of quaint that they were like, oh, the blood type? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, well, obviously, you know, it was 2000 or 1999 was showing a bit here in a couple of different areas. But they, like you said, they were able to trace everything, you know, they traced down what they had for dessert based on that the DNA. So it was very impressive DNA. So I guess in the end, it all works out. Well, Laura does demonstrate some serious sang froid. What? Uh, sang froid. What is that? That's French for cold blood. Oh, she's cold as ice, man. Yeah. Look at my notes. I said, she's cold as ice. She is a cold-hearted snake, guys. I literally wrote that in my notes. Yeah, I think Paula Abdul wrote that before you <laughs> did. But... <laughs> so, okay, so she's walking through the crime scene with the police, and they get to the thing about the bracelet. Were you guys here when the police searched this place? Yeah. Why? Peter gave me this really pretty pair of garnet earrings. They match this bracelet. I think I left them here. Did you guys find them? I'd really like to get those back. Uh, Rebecca, a matching bracelet is nothing to sneeze at, is it? No, but you know what is something to sneeze at? What? Two clearly different line reads used in the scene we saw and then the replay of the scene we saw later. You know, you're right. They... Oh, it was so different. So here's the whole thing. Like, we watch these streaming, right? So there's no commercial break. So we see Ellen Pompeo in the original scene where she talks about the bracelet. Peter gave me this really pretty pair Then we of see her hair. in the replay of the scene in the police station when they watch the video that they took of her saying the same thing. Were you guys here when the police searched this place? Were you guys here when the police searched this place? Peter gave me this really pretty pair of garnet earrings. They matched this bracelet. Peter gave me this really pretty pair of garnet earrings. They matched this bracelet. Did you guys find them? I think I left them here. Did you guys find them? I'd really like to get those back. I'd like to get those back. It is so obviously two different line reads. She says it differently. Her hands move differently. Her face looks different. But yeah, a matching set of jewelry is nothing to sneeze at. Chris, I have a theory. (laughs) 
and, okay. and, and you've been around the you know the entertainment industry, so maybe you can back me up on this because this is real. We see her in the room, and there is an actor there holding a video camera. And some, at one point, the 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 you know the camera's gaze goes past the view screen of of like this handheld camera while she's saying it. Now the second time we see it, it's supposed to be you know the videotape version that we're seeing on the television in the in the office. Chris, my theory is that a union guy has to take that shot, and they can't have video from an actor on the set being used in that place. What do you think? I think you're probably 100% right. 100%? 100%. B, though, Rebecca's 100% right that that line reading was terrible. It reminded me of Pulp Fiction. It, it, remember Amanda Plummer in Pulp Fiction? She, you know, it opens with her uh, and Tim Roth in the diner, and then at the end of the movie, obviously, goes there again. And she's not even saying the same thing. It's like completely <laughs> different line readings. Like, what the hell is going on here? So, you know, they make this mistake with the immunity deal plea bargain thing, right? She's only going to get three to six. And McCoy is going to let Laura torpedo her own deal by getting her to let the judge know exactly what kind of sexual psycho she is. And when you watched Mr. Williams brutally rape and brutally sodomize your little sister... Did you feel excited? Yes. And were you excited when you helped him dispose of Janie's body and Ms. Ullman and you both raped the other girls? He said he would marry me, he would buy me a two-carat ring from Tiffany's, and he would love me and take care of me for the rest of my life. That's it. Counsel, step up. So judges really love to hear how you got turned on while someone was raping your sister. Yeah. Okay, I know that you want me to re- respond to that, but I have another question. Oh, okay. When Are you the host now? No, but when they're making the deal, yeah. don't they say if it turns out she's lying, there's no deal, or if the facts don't prove what she says, there's no deal? Like, And in multiple times, they make this deal with her, and the deal is he abused me and he murdered these people and made me do it. But then all this other stuff happens. Like, they now have photographic evidence of her smiling with the victims. They have All the victims. Her on the in the video talking about her matching jewelry. They have her on the stand being a psychopath. Don't all of those things nullify the original deal they made where they said the evidence has to support what she says at this moment? I'm sorry, am I the only person who thinks this is completely crazy? Chris, you went to law school. What do you think? <laughs> I did not go to law school. I uh, did not, oh. not even close. Oh, okay. I will say... I will say, though, I was second-guessing my career choices because McCoy is... Is McCoy just bad at his job? Like, like, what are you... The whole time I was screaming, what are you doing? This is a terrible deal. What is happening? Uh, I I have real questions about, you know, Sam Waterston's not acting ability, but, you know, lawyerly ability. You know, I I have some McCoy questions here. Do you guys run into this a lot? Do you guys have... Is he inept? Yes. Well, no, he's not inept. He just sometimes skirts civil rights, but... In this case, it's almost like he didn't even remember what he had said. Maybe he was distracted by how giant the eyes of the defense attorney were. Just saying. Sleepy Jack McCoy. (laughs) He's lost a step. (laughs) Yeah, he has to get, you know, you have to like have the setup so that later on he can go all McCoy 12.0. Yeah, in the allocution here. Yeah, yeah. So after Laura basically puts her foot in her mouth and the judge throws away the deal, they threaten Laura by saying they're going to get Peter to testify against her now. 
This is, by the way, the same guy they just convicted of these murders. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, well, wait a second. But he hasn't been sentenced yet. So that's the whole thing. They're going to use his sentencing as uh, leverage to see, make him get out of the death penalty. And they know that he will testify against her, by the way, in a year <laughs> when they've already sentenced him. Like, none of it makes any sense. Chris, I know, you know, when you were in law school <laughs> um, <laughs> that... You could probably anticipate what Peter's defense attorney would say. The actual fuck now? <laughs> You're coming to say, can he testify against her after you just convicted him of the same very crime? Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, I would say that the Armageddon from Oz would <laughs> tear Peter apart on the stand on yep. cross-examination. Yep. Why did Laura's lawyer, he was a pretty good lawyer, I thought, up until that last scene, the allocution, and then... He didn't object once. Wouldn't any lawyer be like, whoa, 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 hold up. She doesn't need to answer that. Or he just sits there on his hands. He goes to basically, you know, sink herself. I was shocked. There was not a, there was one objection up top, and there wasn't a single one the rest of the scene. It, it was very odd. I, even the judge is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, come here, guys. Let's talk about this. Totally agree. Even a psychopath deserves her civil rights. Hey, maybe, maybe she freaked him out, too. Yeah. Like, oh, was- shit. I made a mistake taking her on as a client. <laughs> God, can we just talk about those poor parents? A... Their daughter's oh, dead. B, they find out their other daughter's a psychopath, which, by the way, how did they not know that before? Just saying. And where did they go for like two months? That their kids were just like traveling around and they had no idea where they were. Where did they go? They didn't seem particularly exotic to me. Like, where the hell were they? Nothing like driving up from Baltimore so that somebody else can tell you your kids are dead. I have another like yeah. logistical question. All right. These two girls were allegedly killed a week apart. Yeah. Didn't those two bodies look incredibly fresh? Well, they were wrapped in plastic. (laughs) (laughs) Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving saving today. today. Visit sling.com to see your offer. Sling. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the Headlines. This episode is based on the disturbing murder of Ontario teenager Tammy Homolka by her older sister and her boyfriend. Paul Bernardo told Carla Homolka he was obsessed with her 15-year-old sister, making Carla pretend to be Tammy when they had sex. On more than one occasion, the couple plied Tammy with booze and sedatives, then raped her while she was passed out. On Christmas Eve 1990, the drugged teen began to choke on her own vomit and couldn't be revived. Her death was initially ruled an accident. The couple continued their sadistic crime spree Paul would hunt for teenagers to rape. Twice, they kidnapped a young girl, 
kept her tied in their basement and videotaped themselves torturing her before killing her. Police matched Paul's DNA to a series of unconnected rapes outside Toronto from the 1980s. For a lighter sentence, Carla testified about the murders and Paul's rape of 30 women. Paul Bernardo was sentenced to life in prison, but those videotapes showing the couple as equal participants were kept secret from prosecutors, who said they never would have agreed to a plea bargain if they knew Carla Hamolka's true roles in the crimes. So, uh, if that sounds familiar, uh, it's because it is the same rip from the headlines from the SVU episode Damaged. Yes, you don't have to pay Cy to read that again. Again, I, I... Ripped off. And by the way, the last time I ripped off Psy by doing a rerun, yeah. it was also the the last Ellen Pompeo yeah. episode where it was the John List story. Can we just like for a second, yeah, like, feel bad for Psy Freighter that he had to read that thing that you said to him about this horrible? I didn't want to have to put him through hor- the second time. Can you imagine? Like I know this is meta. Poor Psy Freighter is the guy that we hired to read. Our rip from the headlines, real news story write-ups for this stupid podcast. Yeah. He's just like a nice British guy living in like his nice British house with probably like a recording studio in his basement who gets paid to like read people's stuff. He probably does like documentary voiceovers. He's actually a, a radio DJ in Portugal yeah, on an he, English language station. He probably does like commercials. He probably does like all sorts of voiceover work, right? And then, like, every so often from us, he gets this depraved piece of copy. <laughs> and he has to be like, Hamoka then raped 30 women. And he has to say it all, like, like and this-, this episode is inspired <laughs> by the true case of the octopus rapist. <laughs> poor Psy can I, can, I say, can I say poor Chris for a second? So I, yeah, was, all, I, was, all ex- <laughs> I was all excited because, like, oh, good, it's not an SVU. I don't like the SVU. I don't like all that, the, all, all the rape stuff. It kind of just bums me out. It's kind of depressing. <laughs> And then in this episode, this whole family's ripped apart. We have a sister, like, you know, sleeping, you know, having sex with another sister. I'm like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? This is the episode I get. Turn on. Oh, but the end of it, I want to take like a shower before I went to bed. I'm like, that was horrible. Chris, you oh, should know horrible story. that these are fake detectives yes. investigating fake crimes yes. against fake victims. But we are real podcasters. But we are real podcasters. And we have actually victimized you for this episode. <laughs> We're so no sorry, Don't me. Yeah. <laughs> I had nightmares. So since the last time we talked about this in the Rip from the Headlines section, Carla Homolka came up in the news again in the, uh, the documentary Don't Fuck With Cats. Yeah, I remember. Do you remember? I do. So uh, you remember that Luca Magnata. Luca Magnata, yep. Who was the uh, you know, the male model turned cat killer turned real killer in the beginning of the uh, the series? He went to the Canadian press to deny rumors that he was dating the infamous Hamolka, even though she, he wasn't, and he was the one who started the yeah, rumors. Yeah, and he was probably gay, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he probably was not dating her. But later, when he was mailing body parts of of his victim to uh, the Canadian Prime Minister, yeah. The return address on one of the packages was Logan Valentini. That's formerly Laura Holmolka. That's Tammy and Carla's other sister. Mm-hmm. Why do you think he was so obsessed with this case, with her case? Because it was bananas and he wanted to be famous. Just like, by the way, we just had the Homolka case in Canada is like the Manson case in America. It is yeah. a huge 
thing. Like every Canadian knows about the Malcolm O case. At least every Canadian I've ever met knows about it. Every time we've like uh, t- like done a thing about that relates to the Malcolm case, all of our Canadian fans are like, yeah, that's like the biggest thing that's ever happened here. It's huge there. So I think that that dude, the don't fuck with cats dude, just wanted to be famous. He was a star fucker. Yeah, kind of and he okay. wanted to like have his thing be as infamous or famous as the Hamilka case. Chris, did you see Don't Fuck With Cats? I have. I I don't like I, I, even the idea of animals being hurt at all. Really makes me. I have two dogs. Good. I I, can, I cannot deal with it. You can tap out. No sweat. But yeah, like Chris, you're right. You're right. I, I you're do, right. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> all right, I, I won't. I even seen the title, and I'm not a big cat guy, but I, you know, I've had cat. I, I would the idea of even seeing a cat, like even a whisker, get hurt. Like that's I'm too. I, sque- I can't do it. Chris, by the way, yeah. sidebar: we also have two dogs, and we also are ambivalent about cats, but don't enjoy cruelty against them. We have so much in common. <laughs> we are all the same. <laughs> Taking a very brave political stand. No, I'm not in favor of putting cat, cats in vacuum sealed bags. <laughs> And then posting videos on We have a lot in common. Yeah. Uh, So, not that long ago, it was reported that Carla was now living under a new name, that her husband and her three children, they all moved to Montreal, and she volunteers at an elementary school. Chris, uh, if she was cheap enough, would you let her watch your kids? No, no, I don't have kids. And if I, even if I, I wouldn't let them watch anything. I wouldn't let them watch the lamps in my house. No. (laughs) (laughs) 0.0%. No. Well, that's going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Chris Clemmer. Chris, where can our listeners follow you online? Uh, You can get me at at, uh, QWeekChris. And uh, Quantum Week is available pretty much everywhere. Check it. We have a good episode coming out on Boogie Nights. Uh, so we talk like 1997 and like movies in and around 1997, and we promise that we won't kill any cats in the episode. That's something we can't always guarantee on Listen, SVU. I am 100% going to download that episode to hear what they have to say about Roller Girl. 100%. Chris, you've got me as a fan. I am all in. Rebecca, how can our listeners follow you? You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Reb Lavoy. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Pod. Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoy. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are the Stories was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.